Hello and welcome to Motorsport Now. My name is Jade Paveley and today's guest is Paul Rees. He's a racing driver that started off with quite a lot of experience within his family, which I'll let him explain. It's really interesting. And he started karting quite late and then moved quickly up through the ranks to F2 and he's now racing in Porsches. But I'll let him explain. It's a great story and he explains it all very, very well. He offers some great advice and if you have a look on his social media, as I mentioned, it's super enviable, so check that out. If you enjoy this podcast, then please subscribe and leave a few nice comments if you'd like. But without further ado, here is Paul. So my name is Paul Rees, um, British racing driver, stunt driver, precision driver. I drive things, lots of You've totally undersold yourself, literally. I was just saying, <laughs> before we start recording, he's got like the best CV ever. He's literally done everything in racing. You've gone the whole like stepladder of racing and then everything else. And if you look on Paul's Instagram, like don't cry because it's absolutely amazing. You'll just think that you've gone wrong in life because it's so amazing. Yeah, I've got a good CV. I haven't, I haven't got the best CV because I haven't won any major championships. I came third in Carrera Cup, obviously had some good race wins and and great time in super cup and formula two and all those kind of things but you know a great cv would be a good good championship so i'm still missing that one yeah well that's that's you've got a list of things to do i'm sure in 2021 when it all kicks off again or maybe this year if you've done much of it but you've literally done so you've done karting the formula palma audi formula two like it's impressive things so you started with karting i guess because of your dad's influence well actually that 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 is what everyone assumes. Um, but my father, who was obviously involved in motorsport, he, he was a Formula One driver, Formula Two driver primarily. Then, uh, right, really experienced, did Le Mans, all those kind of things. Uh, he then started a team called March, um, which with Max Mosley and a couple of others, which, which went on to be this amazing, fantastic team, which is still kind of talked about today. Um, but that kind of got disbanded in the end. And then that, that, that then sort of went to Arrows, Arrows Formula One team, which uh, a lot of people my age and, and, and younger even know of. You know, they were never sort of world champions or anything like that, but, uh, but it was a good team. But yeah, my dad used to shove a, a tennis racket in my hand, a rugby ball, golf club, whatever. He did not want me to be involved in, in motorsport. Um, I used to wish like every... Every single birthday or Christmas from the age of like seven onwards, I used to like pray for a go-kart. And, and in the end, he gave in when I was about, actually late, I was about 13 years old. And that's when it all started, yeah. And um, I did two years of karting, actually. And then I was, I loved it, but I, I really wanted to move on into, into, into proper, proper motorsport. I actually met Kimi Raikkonen when I was doing karting. He had just won Formula Renault, World, uh, Formula Renault UK Championship. And then he got um, promoted into you know, Salva, you know, Formula One team. And he said to me, he was, uh, he was like, don't waste your time in go-karts. He said, um, he said, especially if you come to it so late, he said, you want to start young in cars. So that's exactly what I did. So instead of, because I was always racing against these people who, were, who had like been karting since they were six, seven years old. And I came to it so late. And I actually weirdly came second in my first ever race in a British Championship event, which I was hugely surprised about I think everyone was surprised about um but I was just keen to crack on and then went into Formula Renault which was great baptism of fire and actually it's yeah that Formula Renault win series I was with Paul DeResta and a couple of others 
and uh, yeah, it was a good it was a good time. What would you say is the most important season of racing that you've done that's set you up for what, what else you did afterwards? And also, can you stop playing with that pen because I can hear you <laughs> and I have to edit it all out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a fiddler, you know, I always like fiddle with something. Um, yeah, I would say there's two most important years. Actually, Palmer Audi was, was, was quite an important year. Um, that was a great year. I was racing against like, Alex Brundle, Jolien Palmer, Luciana Boschetta, like some, some good names who have all gone on to do some great things now. Um, and, you know, beating them, having fun as well as a mega championship and Jonathan Palmer made it quite accessible. So I was running around trying to find sponsors and, and, and racing at the same time. But then the second year of that, I started winning races and getting lots of podiums. And, um, and that's when sort of offers started to come in and, you know, I was getting tests with some other bigger teams. And then Formula Two was then, that's when I went on to, to race Formula Two and I was very quick in that. And we had a lot of momentum. And then the economic sort of crash hit and the sponsors at the time just sort of said, we've got to pull all the funding. You know, we, we, we can't afford this anymore. So it was, it was, it was a horrible time. It was so, so horrible, but I had to just sort of sit back and, uh, and I thought it was over to be fair. I thought it was completely over. So I'd say Formula Palmer Audi and Formula Two were really important because they kind of gave me a good name in terms of, I was winning races, getting lots of podiums. Um, it gave me a lot of confidence, but then I, I genuinely thought it was over. And then I sort of didn't know what to do. And I went and worked at Mercedes-Benz World for like two, three years. I didn't do any racing whatsoever. I just worked at Mercedes-Benz World as kind of a, a stunt driver for AMG and an instructor and all that kind of thing. And actually it taught me so much. It taught me a huge amount. And then I was in the gym and I think I told you, uh, told you this story once before. I was in the gym running one day. And uh, my phone rings and uh, it was Malcolm Wilson of all the people. And I'm, I wasn't big into rallying. I, I didn't really know anything about rallying. So I didn't know who Malcolm Wilson was. Um, <laughs> turns out, yeah, awkward. Actually, he's a great guy. So it wasn't so awkward. But he, uh, he said, right, he said, M Sport are running the new Bentley program. Um, my name, your, your name keeps being mentioned to me as a bit of it. So you're my wild card. I didn't really know how to take that as a wild card. Um, but I think it's because I hadn't been in, I hadn't even been in racing car for like three years. Um, so some friends of mine were up for it as well. Michael Maddows, uh, Duncan Tappy, And uh, Duncan was also on the call up. And I phoned him. I said, I just had Malcolm Wilson on the phone. And he said, oh, he said, you're joking. Are you coming to Portimao for the test? And I said, yeah. He said, well, hang on. I've been called up for that as well. He said, uh, and we're best mates at this time. He, um, and we're still very good mates. He said, how are you, you going to jump in that car? And he said, you haven't driven a race car for three years. And I said, I'm not really sure, but I'll give it a good go. Anyway, turned up. And me and Duncan obliterated everyone, which was, uh, which was great. And um, yeah, it was still one of the most important tests I think I've ever done. Because Malcolm Wilson, you know, was, was very good to me. He said, um, I did a, a fab job, all that kind of thing. And Duncan actually got the factory drive. I narrowly missed out on it for whatever reason, but, um, but Malcolm then helped me get a Porsche Carrera Cup drive in the UK. Um, good trade-off. Yeah, really good trade-off. And, uh, and that then propelled me to third in the UK Championship, you know, um, and, and, you know, that, that kind of really put me on the map. You know, it was a, a good championship against some great drivers like uh, Michael Meadows, Josh Webster, 
uh, Latifi. You know, he was uh, he was in it most of the year as well. Obviously, now racing Formula One. Um, so, so yeah, he had some good drivers. So I'd say that was an important year as well. And then that put me into Super Cup, and Super Cup was a completely different kettle of fish. You know, I'm still, you know, if you ask me what what I'd want to race next year out of anything in the world, I'd say Porsche Super Cup and a, and a top drive. It's the best championship by far. In terms of the competition, the the cars, the circuits. I mean, yeah, the a the the cars are identical, or pretty well, they are identical. But then the teams are obviously make a big impact in budgets and all that kind of thing. But just the drivers, it sets you up to be the best. I mean, when I came out of Super Cup eighteen months ago, I've done a few things like GT three things, GT four things, and I find it easy. Genuinely, you have have two years of of Super Cup. You then look at any endurance stuff, and I'm pretty much being the quickest in anything I've got in since Super Cup because it, it teaches you how to be on the edge all the time. And uh, so, yeah, it's just the, the drivers and the, and the cars, and obviously being on the Formula One circuit is great, although there's very little track time. So you just get in it and you, you just have to be quick straight away. Um, but yeah, Monaco and all those kind of places are great to race at. And, uh, uh, who knows you know there's talk there's some there's some offers and things for next year and um i'm starting to sort of take it seriously and try and make a play for being back in supercup next year so we'll see what happens so you're very confident and you've got a great personality you're very humble with all the things that you've done and we touched on this again before i start recording i said you you let your personality come across with your social media like you're quite yourself you're quite bantery you're not overly pc there's a lot of drivers that I don't know why, but they don't let themselves be themselves on, you know, in interviews or social media or whatever. They hold themselves back. And sometimes it comes across a little bit bland, whereas you just kind of, is it something you consciously think of or do you feel you're just no. in a confident point in your career? No, not at all. I think I said to you that actually, I, sometimes I worry my Instagram's too boring, um, that I only put up pictures of cars and doing stuff like that and racing. and Yeah, um, racing Porsches <laughs> and driving McLarens all the time is really boring. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you know, but to, 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 some people think personality means, you know, uh, showing a bit more of their private life, like going out partying, drinking, getting hammered. Or, you know, I'm not really a massive drinker. I love to party, love to have fun with friends, hang out with friends. It's, you know, I, it's what life's all about. Um, but yeah, I, I, keep, I keep my Instagram to pretty much racing and, and, and things like that. But it's no, it's not something I, I really um, think about content and, and things like that. I, I always think I only put anything worth putting up. You know, I'm not really one for telling everyone what I had for breakfast this morning or, you know, when I went for a dog walk about an hour ago and although I've got a very cool dog, he's fast asleep over here. Um, you know, but people must remember, and I think it's important, especially this year, to remember that Instagram is a highlight of people's life. Like, you know, so many people said to me sort of in June or July, you know, oh, you've got the dream life, all this kind of thing. Well, I... you. It, it comes across that way but I think everyone's had a tough year this year and especially to be a racing driver or in the sort of area that I'm in it's been a really tough year you know it really has and, and Instagram doesn't show the half of it um but uh but yeah I think it's really important everyone needs to remember Instagram is highlights not not everything yeah very much so but one of the things you did post about was the charity work you've done over COVID you did some was it like a marathon thing you did with a few oh, God. yeah so sam bird sam bird called me and uh, and we're great mates and he said um 
he said, right, and he always comes up with harebrained ideas. And a lot of the time, they're just ideas that we usually just dismiss and say, call me again in the morning when you've had a think about it. But he said, uh, Paul, I really want to do, I want us to do our bit. So at the moment, all we're doing is sitting on simulators, hoping that this goes away. Um, we're not really doing anything. And, and, you know, you can't really argue with that. So I said, okay, what do you have in mind? He said, well, I think we should do half marathons um, and uh, get, get a group of us together, do half marathons, get a bit of sponsorship, try and raise 10,000 pounds. I said, Sam, you're mad. I said, 10,000. I said, when do you want to do it? And he said, next week. And I said, there's no way we, we can make 10,000 pounds in a week, Sam. And he said, okay, well, forget about the 10,000 pound bit. He said, we'll try and make as much as we can. So I said, okay, fine, let's give it a go. And we said, we'll run half marathons on our local area, upload it on Strava so everyone can see that we've done it and done it properly. And we'll create a bit of a theme. And we get the British Racing Drivers Club involved as well and, and just try and do our bit. Anyway, just snowballed and snowballed. And everyone we called, you know, just said yes, that they were on board. And, you know, you name them, British Racing World, they were all in, you know, and they were fantastic. And everyone really sort of took it to heart. Um, and put it this way, you know, just before I was going to start the run, I looked at the Just Giving page, um, which I was kind of looking after. And we were at 18 and a half thousand pounds. And it was just madness, absolute madness. Um, so that's when during the run, I had a bit of a brainwave, stupid idea it turns out, that I thought I would do an Instagram live. And I'd say, if we can get to, and I was gonna say 20,000, I'll, I'll let my wife shave my head. And then I thought, no, because we might get to 20,000. So I said, oh, I'd say 25,000, because there's no chance we get to 25,000. Anyway. Fast forward, finished the marathon. We're over 25,000 by that time. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I shaved my head. And in the end, in the end, it was, I think it was about 38, 39,000. Um, Amazing. In, in a couple of weeks. And that just shows what happens when the, 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 you know, a load of British racing drivers all rally together. And the mentality of nearly every British racing driver I know is they're either all or nothing. That's what racing drivers are like. Um, and everyone just went all out and yeah, very proud to be part of it, really. And, um, you know, Sam Bird's idea, Sam Bird's brainchild. But uh, I think all of us can take a bit of ownership on it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really, really fantastic. And what's it like being part of the British Racing Drivers Club? It's very, very prestigious. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I've been going there since I was about three years old, um, obviously, because my dad was a member. And uh, I used to always just think it was the coolest place, you know, and, and I always used to know it was very privileged to be in there. I remember when I was small, you had to wear a jacket and tie and really dress up. And I remember that being cool until I was about 12 years old. And then I thought it was a bit sad having to put a jacket and tie on and all that kind of thing. And all these amazing racing drivers, like, why were they so geeky with their jackets and ties? Um, but then suddenly it became a lot younger and the BRDC were doing way more sort of... Um, uh, sort of things to reach out to younger younger members and uh, and then it became one of the things that I just wanted to be a member of and I never thought it's really weird because I asked them after Formula 2 I said do I qualify to be a member yet and I sort of went through all my results and they said you're you're an international podium and about three national podiums away so no so you don't qualify so I kind of gave up on the whole thing I thought oh, well I'll never be a member um, but then, and then I forgot about it. And then halfway through the, the, no, in the second year of Porsche Super Cup, 
um, Sue Gold from BRDC called me and she said, Paul, we've just been looking into your stuff. She said, you qualified at the beginning of last year. And she said, um, you know, would you like to become a member? And I was really stoked. It was wicked and uh, very proud to represent such an amazing club of, you look at the members and it's, it's insane. And, you know, we do a lot of stuff together and uh, it's just a great club to, to be associated with and to represent and, um, and you know, BRDC control Silverstone, they control British motorsport really. Um, so yeah, yeah, very honoured to be a member. And you've driven a Formula One car before. You have to tell us about that, please. Yeah, well, I've driven a couple of Formula One cars. I've driven like classic Formula One cars, driven a couple of marches, a couple of arrows, the orange arrows. That was quite cool because it's got this V10, which just screams. Um, you know, you just feel like every single gear change costs about a thousand pounds. You know, it's just, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, and then I drove a Williams uh, on a straight line test, which was great. Um, yeah, so I've done, I've done a little bit of Formula One stuff, you know, I haven't driven the, these cars, the hybrid era cars, which just look bonkers fast, but the cars just prior to that, you know, they're, they're very, very, very quick, obviously, but that's not the first, the first thing it gets you is, is actually the braking performance and the aero performance. Like when you come off the throttle, the way the car slows down and when you hit the brakes, you can hardly hold your head up. And it's, uh, when you first, when you first drive it. And, uh, and yeah, I, there's nothing better, nothing better than a, than a proper single seater. You know, every time I'm back in one, then, uh, it always reminds me that they are, they are the pinnacle really. And I'm always jealous of all the Formula One boys, definitely, you know, uh, Lando and everyone. But I was in the, um, the McLaren Elva this last week doing some development stuff. And I forgot how, when your head is exposed at high speed, how uncomfortable it is just all the air battering your head and neck around you know i'm used to a roof now and uh so yeah i don't i don't miss being out in the open and having my neck hurt after a, after a test yeah well to be fair you're very very sporty like do you think all that sport that your dad tried to get you to do way back when i guess that's kind of put you in good stead for keeping fit and healthy and maybe helped with your reactions and things like that yeah 100 percent. you know i've always been really really into sport and i'm kind of sometimes i think i'm a jack of all trades and uh, a master at none um because i've always played to a really high level um at pretty much at pretty much most things except football i'm awful at football i can play tennis at a great level rugby cricket you know uh, i swam at a really high level but football i play every monday night with with a bunch of friends at the moment and there were some really good footballers and uh yeah i'm just awful at football but i'm trying I'm trying. There you go. So you can master yeah, but it. But, it, but it's good fitness. And fitness is, I work very hard at, um, I don't know why. I'd, you know, you don't need to be the fittest person in the world to, to drive the sort of cars I do, the GT cars and all that kind of thing. But I believe that if you're fitter than everyone else, then you've got another reason to be quicker than the other person. So I just always try and maintain my fitness to the highest level. So if I get a call up from McLaren to be in a GT3 car or GT4 car or, or, or anything, you know, I can just be, just be there and be good and know that fitness is not going to play a part in my performance. It's good advice for other people, actually. And um, in terms of your career that you've had over a long period of time now, I guess, or not too long, obviously not, you know, old, you're only like 22, according <laughs> to your... Uh, your <laughs> no, it says I'm older than I am. No, I'm 35. The internet says I'm 37. Oh, I've no. got 30 on here. <laughs> 30. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> Um, 
have you had any like serious challenges that you've kind of gone right i really need to dig deep here you had something to do with your eyes yeah um yeah that, that wasn't necessarily a challenge i just i used to have contact lenses you know i had pretty awful eyesight actually and um and there was uh there was a company called optimax who a laser eye surgery company who were who were great you know they they supported me in uh, in porsche cryo cup and um and they thought what 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 more of a sort of uh, to represent the brand what more sort of you know stamp can you put on it than actually going in yourself and having laser eye surgery and I, and I tell you what it's terrifying because when you know your eyesight is everything then allowing somebody to technically open up your eye and it was very full-on but I must admit it was about half an hour of being uncomfortable about four hours of being blind and then I woke up the next morning and I'll never forget waking up the next morning and just being able to see everything perfectly you know it's, it's bizarre and you know, it's, um, I wouldn't say it was a challenge, but, um, cause I wore contact lenses before that, but now not having to wear contact lenses is great. Um, I'd say this year has been a hell of a challenge, you know, from thinking that I was going to be racing IMSA, which is like a really big championship in the U S um, you know, representing McLaren on a big stage, something I worked very hard at last year to, uh, to achieve, um, to then not having any racing this year whatsoever and work being very, very, you know quiet between sort of february and july that that was a big um that was a tough ask i must admit but uh, otherwise you know come out formula two that was very tough when the whole sponsorship thing all dried up um and then in porsche super cup the second half of my second year in porsche super cup you know we, a car crashed into me uh, matthew jamine who is now a porsche factory driver smashed into me at hungary and um and wrote my chassis off and um i had to i had to then find another fifty thousand pounds worth of sponsorship to pay for another chassis and i couldn't quite raise the full amount of money and i and in the end we had another chassis but it was really average like really 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 average we knew the chassis was down on the performance and my teammate if i jumped in my teammate's car at the time a guy called dylan Pereira, i would be Half, well, about four tenths of a second on average quicker than this other car. And, and I, you know, it wasn't me moaning that I was on the back foot, but we even had Jack Van Lagen and uh, even Michael Amamula drove the two cars back to back and proved it was four, four tenths per lap slower. And in Super Cup, that's the difference between P4 and P15, P16. And um, I had to do, I don't know, second half of the season and my second season and knowing. I would fly to the races and usually you're really pumped when you fly to fly to, you know, amazing tracks, you know, Kota and all sorts, but I'd just be sort of head down on the plane. Cause I know that the best result I could get would be like 10th. But that is, I think the hardest period in my racing career, but you know, I didn't want to be the one to moan. I was there, I was racing and you know, some of my best races, I would say were those was that latter half of the year when my car was wrecked. I knew I didn't have the performance, but some of the races I'd come home in 12th, 11th or 12th. And I know that I drove that race beyond the limits in the car. And I was on the limit under braking on the limit on the apex on the limit on the exit every single lap. And uh, it used to be a bit sad coming home, being happy was like 11th or 12th. But um, you know, I knew the story and my family knew the story. And uh, this is why 
I've got this want to be back in Porsche Super Cup because I know that there's unfinished business and um, yeah, I just, I don't want to let it go. <laughs> no, you've still got it. You've still got all this kind of desire, motivation to do it. And it's, uh, I hope it all yeah. goes well. You'd like, it's, it's so frustrating, isn't it? But what would you give advice wise to other drivers up and coming wanting to go down the racing route? Because you've gone from the open wheel to closed wheel, you've kind of jumped across and you're really enjoying what you're doing. So would you recommend going that route as opposed to the try and go for your Formula One route? So a lot of people watching this might know a guy called Joe Osborne. Um, he is now a McLaren factory driver. Joe Osborne's first race was uh, Formula BMW with me at Donington. And this guy hit the back of me under braking for turn one, took off, barrel rolled it into the barriers. And, and he did exactly the same thing the following weekend at Thruxton. I remember thinking, this guy is just a lunatic. Like, he may as well just give up now, you know, forget it. Um, and then that was his last year of single seaters. And then he moved to, to tin tops, you know, GT cars. And I remember thinking, wow, that's an early move. Fair play, you know, hopefully he does well. And, uh, and it was the best thing he ever did. He stopped chasing that Formula One dream very, very early on. And now he's a very highly paid McLaren factory driver, very quick as well. Um, and he's got a mean sense of humor. He's, he's, he's hilarious if you've never followed him before. But that is kind of one of, the, one of my examples. Um, you know, there's 22 seats in Formula One. And even when you make Formula One, there's probably 10 realistically paid seats. It's all very political. Um, and actually, if you get down in the nitty gritty, a lot of the drivers, although they're having a great time, they're doing amazingly. I don't know if they're really having fun or if they're just tied up in all the politics. Um, but you, you go to GTs and there's a lot of paid seats out there. There's a lot of manufacturers who need seats filling. There's a hell of a bunch of talent. And the most fun racing I've ever had are in GTs. So I would say very early on, think about it, what you want. You know, if you're someone like George Russell or Lando or, you know, you have big backing and backing from manufacturers or backing from a young driver program, obviously follow their advice. But if you're thinking very early on, you know, you're struggling with sponsorship, all those kind of things, look to things like Janetta, Janetta Juniors, Janetta Super Cup, you know, um, the new Porsche Championship with the, with the Caymans, all those kind of things. Um, you know, don't chase the Formula One dream too long um, because, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely happy I went the GT route and I wish I'd probably done it a couple of years earlier if I could have. And last question for you, because I think you have a child from what I've seen on the internet. Would you push them into or advise or try and encourage them into motorsport or would you do what you da your dad did and try and get them to do everything else but? So I've got two little, little, uh, little ones. And Oscar, who is currently three, and James, who is 16 months. And I always used to joke saying, no, no, don't want them to have anything to do with cars and all this kind of thing. Well, they've got a little orange electric McLaren in the, in the garage, which Oscar had been driving around since, well, since before he could walk. He's now got a 50cc quad, which he tears around on at the age of three. He can, you know, absolute lunatic. James is 14 months, is already driving around on the quad, be it with me on the back. Um, so I always said I wouldn't push them towards anything like that, but I feel like I'm subconsciously exposing them to it. And I'm really impressed with Oscar already, how he can handle a quad and, 
and drive his car and all that kind of thing. So I, I, I might even encourage it a little bit, you know, because I was never given the chance from a young age and uh, seeing Oscar and seeing his ability already, I'm kind of like, Jesus, well, can I, can I not give him a go, you know? So we might get a little Bambino go-kart or something and, and see how he cracks on with that. But very much kind of, if he wants to do it, great. If he doesn't want to do it, then, then don't do it. You know, a great friend of mine, his son, who I was coaching in, in go-karts, actually wasn't enjoying it in, in karting that much. But when we went skiing together, it's one of the best skiers still to this day. Like he was 14, this only a couple of years ago, he's only 16 now. But he was the mo- he's in the most insane skier you've ever seen. And, uh, you know, instructors would almost stop him when we were out skiing together and say, you know, you know who do you race for? Are you a professional skier or something like that? And he, I'd say to him, you know, go skiing, go and do professional downhill skiing. And, you know, but he said no, because then it takes the fun away from it. Um, so, you, first of all, you have to enjoy what you do. Um, so, so, yeah, if he enjoys it, then great. Yeah, I might push him towards it. Fingers crossed for you. So you can be one of those carting dads on the side, like cheering on and pushing in parents that way. <laughs> yeah, my, I t- my dad was the opposite. My dad would sit there, stand, just stand there in silence all day. And he, would just, he was one of these dads that just used to watch everything unfold, you know, not really have an opinion or anything like that. And I think I'd like to, because his dad was the opposite. His dad was a very, very pushy, you know, um, more, almost like an old school karting dad. Uh, so I think I'd like to think I'd be somewhere in the middle, you know, let them crack on with it. And, uh, you know, but I don't know. I don't know how I'd react. You know, I'd like to think I would never be a karting dad, but who knows? Well, thank you ever so much. That was absolutely brilliant. So unless there's anything else you think is important to add? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying seeing the, the rise of women in motorsport, I must admit. Um, women in motorsport in general, and also I'm also driving. You know, Jamie Chadwick, she's a great role model for everyone. She's lovely. Um, and, you know, you've got people like Jade Edwards who just are always pushing, you know, always trying to get where they want to get to. And I've never understood why there aren't more females in motorsport. You know, I, there was a girl called Emma Kimmelainen, and I'll never forget how good she was. We were in Palmer Audi, um, and she was always, every time it rained, you know, she'd be right there on the podium with us. And uh, I believe she's now one of the development drivers for Jaguar in that E-Pace series. She helped develop that car. Um, but, you know, I'm really enjoying seeing, seeing more females in racing and uh, and just, you know, in general, I think the racing world is in a great place. I think we're going to have a post-pandemic boom and it's going to support everything and it's all going to be brilliant after 2020. So here's to 2021 and beyond. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best of luck as well with, uh, with the podcast and stuff. Thank you. Thanks very much. And that was Paul Reese. Thank you so much for listening. I really enjoyed that conversation with him. I think he's really inspiring because he's just so confident and reassured, but very thoughtful with how he's gone through everything which I think is great he's learned so much clearly through his journey which is so important with motorsport you have to take all the good bits and learn from them my next podcast will be coming up shortly I do apologize they're a little bit more sporadic than they were uh, but things are uh, still busy with the family business and trying to keep things ticking over there so uh, I will do these whenever I can but if you would like to get in touch and just give me any feedback, that would be really super welcome. So just get in touch on my social media at Jade Pavely Motorsport. 
or just uh, subscribe and tell all your mates to do it too. <laughs> Thank you so much and have a great week. Thank you to my podcast sponsors, the Motorsport Lounge and the Forest Experience Rally School.